everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of the Switch Focus podcast. Um, I am not your usual host, Andy Corrigan. Um, he's a little bit busy today, but Andrew and I will be carrying the show in his absence. So, yep. Um, how was your week, Andrew? Oh, uh, it's been all right. Although, may I say, we carry the show in his presence as well, so. <laughs> uh, how was your week? Can't complain. Um, really busy. But that's life, I guess. Um, however, I did still find time to play some large-ish recent releases, which I'll talk about a little bit more later on. So it wasn't all for nothing. <clears throat> all right, then. Uh, we'll move into the latest Switch news for the week. First item up on our latest Switch news list is the firmware update for version 5.0.2 for the Switch. So it looks like not a lot has changed. Um, we haven't got anything cool or new that we were looking for. Um, ergo, no Netflix, no web browser, no home screen themes. But 5.0.2 does fix faulty motion controls in some games. I'm not exactly sure which games. Um, but I guess if you are finding issues with um, the motion controller sensing in some of the games that you were playing, this will probably be a good relief for you. And also 5.0.2 also fixes a bug where the user icons of some of your friends wouldn't be displaying properly. So yeah, um, nothing particularly huge. Um, was there anything that you were looking forward to in, I guess, a large update, Andrew, that you were sad to see not part of 5.0.2? Not really, although I am having a problem with my left Joy-Con with the joystick on it. It's It doesn't move back into neutral the way it should, so in some games it'll drag on menus or it'll make my character constantly walk forward. After the firmware update, it didn't fix the problem, but it did make it a lot better, so I'm I'm very confused about what the issue with that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just need I need to replace it. That's what I need to do. <laughs> was yours a launch day one? Because I've got the same problem with my left Joy-Con, and it is complete crap. Huh. Um, but it's not all games that I find this issue with. I find that it lags a bit when I'm recalibrating it as well. So if you've got that same issue where it isn't like completely centralized when you're doing that, you know, recalibration thing on the console, mine's got that problem. So. Oh. Yeah, mine's a launch day. I need to just get a recent release. Yeah, but, I'm kind of waiting for the Tyco ones because I like the color of them. Yeah, I'm waiting for those too, although now it seems to be a mystery whether those actually exist or not. That was just concept art that was floating around out there of oh. it. Yeah. Damn. Oh, well, because I have to fork out, what is it, like $100 or something for a official Nintendo set of EB games of new Joy-Cons? If you get both oh, of them in a set, it's a hundred bucks. Yeah, but if you get just yeah. one, it's a little cheaper. But mm. well, not really, because actually, it's a better deal. They give you a bit of a a discount if you buy both of them as a pair. But it's yeah. quote unquote cheaper if you uh, buy just one of them. Okay. Hmm. Well, I'll probably have to look into that then because it is kind of annoying especially when i'm playing games like it'll just be happening like it'll kind of it'll do that thing where it semi pops out at like what i would say is slight pressure as well mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's just about time i just need to replace it 
All right. Um, in non Joy-Con related news, um, we have an update on Dark Souls Remastered. Um, apparently, this has been pushed back to summer 2018. I'm assuming this means summer, like in my hemisphere, which is in December this year, because I think it's summer now oh. in America. Nope, not yet. It's still spring in America, in the US. Oh, okay. So, okay, so potentially it could be summer in the US, which would mean that's not been delayed by eight months. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I think we'll see it in July or maybe August. My prediction okay. is it's going to be out July 13th with everything mm-hmm. else that comes out July 13th, because that's also when the Splatoon 2 Octo expansion comes out. Captain Toad Treasure Trackers is out on the 13th. Octopath Traveler is out on the 13th. And also on the 10th is the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. So, you know, it would just be... It would figure if Dark Souls came out that weekend, too. Yeah. Hope you got $250 sitting around somewhere. Oh, gosh. Yeah, perhaps never. Um, But, (laughs) no, that's great. Um... It looks like the other platform editions are still on track for May 25th. It's just the Switch one that's been delayed, which I guess is unsurprising. Um, I did think that the Switch port would take a little bit longer. So I don't think it's going to be a huge issue commercially. Like, I don't think a couple of months later is going to to deter the hardcore Dark Souls fans that were going to rebuy anyway. Yeah. Um, So it's probably not going to be a huge commercial issue for them, even though I've seen some people making a huge mountain out of a molehill about this and how it's going to devastate the Switch sales. Oh, please. Um, Yeah, just relax. (laughs) Yeah, and also I think it's worth knowing that the Switch version is being developed by, or I think ported over by a different team than the main ones, which is probably also why there's been this difference in the release date. But all in all, it shouldn't be much longer than what, we're thinking is maybe a month two months so yeah i mean if you're holding out for it it's not like a huge delay like i had originally thought thank god and honestly i just hope that this means that they'll make more amiibo because (laughs) those things sold out in like 20 seconds you know it is impossible to get your hands on one now if you didn't order them like the day that they came out so please someone re-release more of those amiibo and I'm actually grateful that it got delayed because there's too much coming out in May as it is. And I had no idea when I was going to find time to jam Dark Souls in at the very end of it. Yeah, and then, but now thinking about when it's been delayed too, I'm like, oh, I've got to play Project Octopath, I've got to play Captain Toad, <laughs> and then the Splatoon expansion. It's like, there's just not enough time. There's not enough months in a year for Switch games. All right, someone's got to fix that. Work on this stuff, Nintendo. All right, we need a better release schedule, please. <laughs> Just don't sleep. That's what I do. <laughs> Just don't sleep. I feel like that will be me for like those couple of months. Like it's going to be May. The May, June, July period is going to be very dangerous because so much is going to come out on multiple platforms. It's going to take over my life. All right, so that's all that we had on the cards for the latest Switch news. So now we're just going to quickly move into what we both played this week. Um, a couple of older titles for Andrew and some new anime releases for me so andrew take it away do you played eleanor this week is that right i did i wanted to be playing uh wild guns reloaded because wild guns is one of the best super nes games that nobody played so i was really happy that it was getting re-released on the modern consoles to give more people a chance to recognize how amazing this game is 
and then it came out and it was 30 bucks. And uh, as much as I like this game, I'm not going to pay $30 for a port of a Super Nintendo game. So I ended up yeah. not buying any new games this week. That did give me time to finish L.A. Noir, which I've had on the back burner since it came out in November. And mm. I still really admire that game for all of the problems that it has. Uh, like Team Bondi, the company that made it, probably the textbook example of industry abuse of its employees and a pretty stellar example of why they need to unionize. But just as far as the game itself, we talked about this back in November, that the sandbox is pretty worthless. It really only matters in one case, but you can skip it for the most part, so it doesn't really get in the way of the game unless you want to let it get in the way. And Mm -hmm. aside from that, I just admire L.A. Noir for being something different. And it's it's so hard to find a AAA game that is really not at all like all the other AAA games that are out. Like, just in the past couple days, the new God of War game has come out, and I've been playing it, and it's like, this is Tomb Raider with Dark Souls combat. I've played this game. (laughs) L.A. Noir, I really don't think there's anything else out there before or since, which... I would say is even remotely similar. Uh, I think it probably has the most similarities to the Ace Attorney series, but even then it's still quite different. Because like in the Ace Attorney series, you have the hit point meter, and if you present the wrong evidence, you lose the case. In L.A. Noir, you don't lose the case. You just keep playing until you find where you need to go. And if you present the wrong evidence, then the witness will laugh at you and say, no, it has nothing to do with this, and then you move on, and you have to find Mm -hmm. your evidence some other way. And I really don't know why there aren't more games out there that that work that way, where making the wrong choice doesn't lead to a game over. It just leads to another possibility of what the level can be like. And I I really like that. And L.A. Noir is not a perfect game. Uh, It's deeply flawed. (laughs) I, I can definitely understand why people wouldn't like it at all. But I really appreciate L.A. Noir for just being what it is. Yeah, I think we talked about this when we were doing our L.A. Noir-themed episode, but I think you and I were quite similar in the sense that we felt that for all of its imperfections, it brought something very unique to, the, I guess, the mainstream game sphere. And I think I mentioned, I think now when I play games that are like Telltale games, for example, um, more specifically stuff like The Wolf Among Us and not so much the spin-off games for main franchises like Borderlands and Batman and whatnot, I feel like that sort of the decision-making, choice-making aspect, um, I think that the older Telltale games kind of have that same that same sort of weight to decision-making. Um, obviously not in the same function, but um, I'm still waiting for my for a new Telltale game that I guess would be part of Wolf Among Us that would combine that with the quote-unquote combat sort of sequences and the sort of feel that I think you get with Eleanor. I don't know if we're kind of past those games, though. Like, I feel like there's something about Eleanor not just being graphically dated, because I don't care about frame rate and all that stuff, but I just feel like it captured a very specific moment in time that's going to be very hard to revisit. I think games that try and sort of ham up that sort of, like, quote-unquote noir aspect... Um, often do it quite horrifically now in the modern day and age. Mm. I think it'll be hard to recreate that same environment without making a, a fax meal of basically what that game was, which would then render the new version sort of more derivative than anything. But 
I don't know. I mean, I appreciate it um, and I really enjoyed it. And I probably will revisit the game again at some stage, having bought it for the third time when I bought it for the Switch last year. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, no, it is great. And it's a real shame about Team Bondi. So, RIP. On a more positive note, um, a Slayer Away Camp, which is cut, um, and Indie Darling that you were revisiting this week as well. Yeah, I I started it last Saturday uh, before I had to go to that event that made me miss last week's recording, and mm-hmm. I finished it Monday. I was really impressed by this game, because it, it is a puzzle game where you play as a slasher in a slasher film, and you go around these maps uh, killing all the victims and then getting to an exit, and each one is actually a pretty simple sliding puzzle where... Like, have you ever played one of those games where you you push a block and it slides along the floor until it hits a wall and you've got to solve the puzzle by pushing the blocks around the right way? Mm. Yeah, it, it's basically a whole game similar to that, but not, not quite. Uh, that's a bit of an oversimplification of what it is. But I was also thinking about while I was playing it, the last puzzle game on the Switch I played, which was Warp Shift, which I... Oh, yeah. I really like Warp Shift. I think it's a good puzzle game, but I also think it's way too smart for me. I could not figure out the puzzles by just looking at them and trying to logic out what I wanted to do to reach the exit. Uh, So I would just move tiles around and try to brute force every puzzle until it said, do you want us to give you the solution? I'm like, yes, give me the solution, please. I did not have that problem in Slayaway Camp. I was able to just look at the map, study all the components to it, and figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing to solve the map. Now, part of the reason it's so much easier to do that in Slayaway Camp is it has a very generous undo option, which Warp Shift did not have. If you made a wrong move in Warp Shift, you had to go back to the beginning of the puzzle and hope that you remembered all the steps that you took to get to that point in the first place. But in... Slayaway camp, if you make a wrong move, you can just undo it and go back to the last step you take. So it's much easier to puzzle out the next step that you want to be taking to get the result that you want so you can reach the exit. And the other thing that I really appreciated in Slayaway camp over Warp Shift was Warp Shift, to get to the end of the game, you had to finish all of the puzzles that came before within a certain number of moves. In Slayaway Camp, you can make as many moves as you want. It doesn't matter if it takes you five moves or it takes you 50 moves. If you solve the map, it considers it solved and it gives you all the rewards for it. And I really appreciated it for that because Warp Shift wanted me to be very smart and to do every puzzle perfectly to finish the game. And Slayaway Camp was just like, you killed everybody, you finished the map, good job, here's the next one. And (laughs) yeah. And the Butcher's Cut just has a ridiculous amount of content in it. Uh, I only finished, like, the core stuff because uh, the entire game is built like you're in a VHS rental shop and you're picking these movies off the shelf and then you're watching the movies and it actually plays on a TV in the corner before it pulls out and shows you the full game field. So each one really is okay. like like watching a movie. And there's mm. 10 tapes in the game that are the core 
Slay Away Camp missions. But then once you finish those, you can replay them to watch the Director's Cut version, which is the same maps, but they have new puzzles in them. And then there's also the deleted scenes, which are new puzzles entirely in those tapes. And then there's also bonus tapes that you unlock in the course of playing the 10 core tapes. And I haven't even begun to explore all of that stuff. And Slay Away Camp... I bought it last week for 50% off on the eShop. Uh, it's still on sale today, but I, I don't know if it's going to be on sale when this episode goes live. But it's a great game. It hasn't even been out on the Switch for a month, I think, and it's already 50% off. If you're into puzzle games and you don't mind slasher film violence, I think you would really enjoy Slay Away Camp. Sounds interesting. I actually really enjoyed those puzzles whereby like you were saying i used to have like the physical ones as a kid whereby you just move stuff around like a safari or whatever and they move like in just one direction or like Mm -hmm. they have certain kind of movement patterns that was like my jam when i was a child so this sounds interesting and the fact that it's like a small game and i think affordable still i think it wasn't sale when andrew first got it last week that that makes me interested because um switch games are kind of Burning a hole in my wallet right now, so I'm all about games that are great value for money and entertaining like this one. So yeah, interesting. Alright, so unlike Andrew, um, I played two larger current releases this week, both with very strong Japanese influences. I think predictably one of them, you can probably already guess, um, was Galgun 2. And the other one was Regalia of Men and Monarchs. So I'll probably leave Galgun for last because it's a little bit meatier. Um, and to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out how to describe it in the in the most appropriate way possible. Meteor is a, an interesting word to use for that game. <laughs> God. Well, there's a lot going on in Galgun too, for sure. Um, but Regalia of Men and Monarchs is a much tamer title, both in subject matter and in execution, um, as I was playing it originally, I thought, you know, maybe Andrew would like this game. You know, maybe it's going to be that one game that converts Andrew to modern JRPGs. And I came out on the other end and I thought, this is not going to be the game <laughs> that converts Andrew to modern JRPGs. I saw it on the eShop and I was interested in it, but it was uh, the price that turned me away. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to say in my defense... I used to like JRPGs. I don't know what happened, but I'm just not into them anymore. There's always something about them that just irritates me and just repels me from putting a lot of time into them. But I really hope someday that they'll put one out there that will bring me back in. And I'm looking at Octopath Traveler. I'm hoping that'll be the game that does it. But then we look back on when the demo came out, and I was by far the most negative of the three of us about that demo. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed. But anyway, please continue. (laughs) Well, yeah, um, I think if we were comparing the quality of storytelling between the Octopath Traveler demo and Regalia of Men and Monarchs, and you weren't a fan of the other one, this is not going to be like an upgrade um, in sophistication by any means. I'll give a really quick breakdown of the, the major premise of the whole thing. And it really doesn't get any more complicated than this. Um, so you're like a young king. Your dead relative kicks the bucket. And he's left you a kingdom in his will. So <laughs> you show up with your annoying older sister. 
and you sort of pick up some trusty psychics along the way. You're both really, really pretentious. You know, sort of every single bad, spoiled, rich kid stereotype. You show up in your dead uncle's kingdom and you find out that he was up to his eyeballs in debt when he died. So now you have to slave away. <laughs> this is the plot of Fable 3 so far. Yes, um, exactly. So you basically have to slave away um, by doing odd jobs around the kingdom and creating in the economy from scratch and opening pubs and building buildings and stuff. And you need to pay protection money to this <laughs> fantasy mafia um, basically every month or you risk um, the game ending, basically. So <laughs> so you're not really the king and queen. You're just a local entrepreneur, it sounds like. Yeah, you're, you're making the best of a horrible situation is what's really happening in this game. And the whole thing is like, you know, make friends with people, you know, win over the affections of the people that are your subjects and make sure that your castle doesn't get repossessed by the bank. <laughs> um, so, so that's the thing. I really hate calling games XYZ light, but this feels like a JRPG light in the sense that light beer um, is compared to regular beer. So it's kind of watered down all the parts of JRPGs that I enjoy about them. And it's got like a product that has a similar flavor, but it's like an entirely different and sometimes unpleasant taste experience. All the marketing about it is like, you know, JRPG homage, like JRPG pastiche, like all the good things about JRPGs that you enjoy. And I feel like if that's your game's main draw, it's more derivative than innovative. And that comes through a lot. Have you played Disgaea or Persona, Andrew? I've played several hours of the first Disgaea and Persona 4, but I haven't made a lot of progress on them. That's, that's fair enough. That's probably enough for you to be familiar with the comparison I'm going to make, I guess. But it's got Disgaea-like combat, <laughs> um, whereby you kind of queue up your... You get moves for your characters, um, but your characters can't auto-attack. They just use skills, and mm. skills all have like multiple move cooldowns. So it's that kind of like positioning your characters in a way that will allow them to escape from other enemies while you're fighting and vice versa and it's in, it's like persona in the sense that like you have to interact with your characters off the battlefield in order to like improve their social relationships and that involves like them being in specific locations at certain times and you have like a whole timetable of where your mates are going to be at any given time of the day in you know different seasons um and stuff like that so it's a little bit creepy in that sense, but I guess as a king, you'd have access to the information. But basically, you hang out with your mates, and they're all really, really, really identifiable RPG tropes. So, like, the savage, quote-unquote, animal girl who was raised by a beast tribe and dresses up like different kinds of animals. The cunning, ethnically ambiguous merchant. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, um, and the very buff Swedish blacksmith who wears tight clothing... And I think is a thinly veiled allegory for what they're saying is a homosexual character. It's the tropes are pretty bad. I've seen some reviews that they say that the humor is over the top and very funny, but I think that the stereotypes that they use, especially for different characters like the ethnically ambiguous merchant, you know, giving him like a turban and darker skin, and I, I don't know. I mean, they've done things with the characters there which I, I can see are an attempt to sort of separate them all from each other to make them very distinct and recognizable but I think they could have done a lot better than pigeonholing your NPCs into different I guess stereotypical groups like that I didn't really enjoy that aspect and I found that humor quite juvenile I'm all for silly games hence why I played Galgun 2 after this 
But I think there's like a little thing at the beginning whereby you basically turn your uncle's ashes into tea because you don't know what ashes look like, apparently, and it smells fine to you when you, you know, it's just a lot. I thought it was chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. You know, like just, oh, you know, this is this is a beautiful, what a beautiful aroma. It's my dead relative. Um, sorry, granddad. Yeah, so there's a lot going on, you know. Spoiler alert, the same thing happens at the end of God of War. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> God. That would, I think, make it the game better. I would enjoy the game more if there were some slapstick humor moments. But um, yeah. I think Regalia just has too many of them. Like, every other dialogue interaction is like some sort of joke or the characters poking fun at each other, which is fair enough, but it gets really, really tiring after a while. I found that the game was was okay. It was a serviceable RPG in terms of combat, in terms of the social bond stuff, in terms of leveling characters up. All that stuff worked. Like, it wasn't bad. But this game is by no means a bad game. It's just not a great game. And I mean, it was so, so, so repetitive. You know, once you find a team that works, you just roll with that team. You know, I wouldn't change out my characters for different fights. I would just find three that I was like, you know, you guys are really strong. I'll just play as you for the rest of the game. And it worked. So I guess in summary, it is a game that looks like it's been ripped from bits of other games. For example, the combat interface reminds me of Banner Saga. There's literal banners to the characters that have their stats and their defenses and whatnot. And it reminds me of persona in the way the social bonds work and also obviously it draws from other games like fable and like disgaea and i mean it just feels like a game that was made because its creators really enjoyed those particular aspects of those games and they were like you know we'll mush them all up forget about all the other good stuff that jfegs have like a good story or an engaging narrative or just anything else we'll just pick the bits that we like from those games and make a game out of it and that's what regalia of men and monarchs is it's fun if you don't want to think too hard about anything but i think if you wanted to play a game that had that effect on you it's got a decently steep price tag for the kind of experience that you're getting so unless you're like a die-hard jrpg fan and you need to have a game that is a pastiche of all the other games that you've enjoyed in the past i think it's pretty safe to give this one a miss so yeah unfortunately my hunt for a jrpg that andrew will enjoy continues (laughs) Well, it's a pretty simple solution. Square Enix just needs to release the Secret of Mana trilogy outside of Japan. That's all they have to do, and I will be happy. But they won't do it. <laughs> like, without any changes? Like, just like the original? So no updates to graphics or anything? No changes whatsoever? Just the original Secret of Mana? Well, that's a thing they've already put out. They put out the second Densetsu trilogy, which has uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, which was the original Game Boy game. And it has Secret of Man on it, and it has second Densetsu 3 all on the same card. It's out in Japan, mm. but they haven't released it anywhere else, I think, because they just have never put the resources into translating second Densetsu 3 into other languages. But mm. this is a thing that already exists, and they just need to release it. And I'll be perfectly happy with that as a jrpg option although i am reaching 20 years into the past for this so maybe that doesn't count well fingers crossed you could always play near automata if you haven't played that already um but there's not a switch game unfortunately although i think it would be hard to run that on the switch but what is another great japanese game on the switch is gal gun 2 i guess um it's a good game for what it is which oh, is a, a very thinly veiled 
It's a very thinly veiled excuse to enjoy the more titillating parts of high school anime. Okay, it's a fairly decent rail shooter regardless. Like, this would be a fine rail shooter if you reskinned it, even. If you were diametrically opposed to the high school setting, you could easily, you know, the fundamental combat mechanics of the game are more than serviceable. It is a good rail shooter. It's really just the presence and the location that I think makes the game, in some people's eyes, lesser or more notorious because it involves unconventional combat elements or replacements for combat which are not often seen in many other games so i'll i'll, I'll set the scene for you andrew i'll set the scene for you mm-hmm. so you are a 17 year old high school boy and you've got a smartphone you're just playing around on it and then you discover a weird app on your smartphone and this app can't be deleted i've seen this hentai <laughs> no <laughs> Um, and then you find out that this weird app is actually something that's going to enable you to fight demons. So there's been an incursion of demons into society. The Angel Society, I think they're called? No, the Angel Ring Company. When you open the app, they have a sales rep appear, and the Angel Ring Company gives you what looks like a VR headset and a magical hairdryer, and basically says that your job is to now help schoolgirls in your school, in your year group, who have been possessed by demons. You with me so far on this? I think so. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, you wear this headset to school, and then you get told that the downside is that now you're irresistible to every single girl that you see. Of course. (laughs) So you have to fend them off with um, a demon sweeper or the hairdryer, and basically keep them away from you because they are so into you that they will attack you if you don't like return their affection. So to prevent yourself from getting beaten up by your friends, you need to tire them out by playing games. And one of those games is to shoot them with your special hairdryer because it will make them really excited and then really sleepy. Um, and once it's sleepy, you can run away and save your other friends who have been possessed by demons. Yeah, as I'm recounting this, it is it is really quite a lot to take in. Um, but you also have a vacuum, which you can use to suck tiny evil demons off your friends. But you have to be careful because that might remove their school uniforms too, which is not great and not appropriate if you're a child. Actually, you know, if you're a child, don't play this game. I'm just going to put it out there. Don't play this game if you're a child. Um, if you're younger than the main character in this game, do not play this game. I think it'll be hard to relate to, first of all, and also incredibly inappropriate. Basically, yeah, it's a real shooter where you aim your magical hairdryer at your female friends and you tire them out. That way you save yourself and the world. It is not a very impressive plot, but this is Galgun 2, not Nier Automata, so I think plot is kind of extraneous. The game's more like a vehicle for the real gun shooting aspect of it. Yeah, if you're looking for a great story, it's not here. But the real shooting feels great. Like, it feels not great in the sense that, like, I don't feel great shooting high school girls. But the the way that the flow of the combat feels is very satisfying. The real shooter sort of takes you through different environments very seamlessly. And also the side quests are very entertaining. They're not all about shooting demons or women. There are often quests where you have to find certain objects. You have to sort of sneak around and hide. There's like a lot of variety in the mini game sort of side quest stuff, 
that is a good break from the rail shooting stuff. So, I mean, if you like playing rail shooters and you're okay with some R18 material, this isn't a bad pickup. It is incredibly pricey, though, so I think you would have to be at least somewhat attached to the anime aesthetic to really get your money's worth. But it's not a bad game. Um, I think it gets a lot of flat because people misunderstand when the game says, oh, you're a year two high school student. They think they mean, like, year two of, like, junior school or something when you're, like, 13. That is not the case. You're, like, a second year high school senior, so everyone in the game is 17. I know that they look a little bit younger. All right, I'm aware of this. I watch a lot of anime. I'm very aware of this. This is not a game. I think people that are kind of saying that it's a game that looks like you're doing untoward things to very young children, that just does not seem like the case. But I understand it is not for everyone. Probably not for Andrew or Andy. Probably very specifically not for either of you guys, to be honest. But no, it's good. It's not bad. If you enjoy rail shooters, if you enjoy games that have social bond aspects to them, if you just want to hang out in a high school, hopefully you're also kind of close to the age if you want to do that, and that's your main motivation for buying this game. You know, if you want to hang out in a high school with your friends, also fine if you want like a cheesy, corny plot that is basically a thinly, you know, uh, no, it's not, it's not even a thinly veil. It's just a undisguised vehicle for real shooting and getting to know young women. Then this is the game for you. This will be, this will take all your boxes. But compared to the first game, which I think had a lot more of like a satirical aspect to it, this one just isn't OTT enough. It just kind of feels like a pervy game. So don't play it on the bus, is my recommendation. Do not play this game on the bus. But if you're into anime games, into anime girls, and you think that this is the game for you, then it probably will be. And if you are in that demographic, I can highly recommend it because you will definitely enjoy it. I can hear the spirits of the damned howling in the background. Yeah, it's it definitely something that I felt a little bit weird playing because this second game has a bit more of a... There's like, it's introduced bits whereby you can now organize meetups with the girls that you've helped and you can do things like feed them chocolate or treats, which is kind of weird and infantilizing. I'm like, can't they feed like themselves? That. Well, you would think so, but it's kind of like they're like a, a small animal or something. And you can give them relaxing massages, which I don't even really want to go into. <laughs> but that's the thing that you can do if you want to play this game. You can massage your friends. So if you're a civil-minded citizen and your friends have lots of tension in their upper back and you want to help them out, this is the game for you. Otherwise, yeah, it is polarizing for a reason. If you don't like what I said at all... Stay far away from this game. Don't, don't even hate buy it because you will not get past the first hour of it if you hate buy this game. If you don't like it, just leave it well alone. <laughs> Alright, moving along from our slightly more risque conversation topic that we just had, we have the Nintendo Labo, which is one of the other items that's kind of cropped up um, for people that own Switches this week. And we recently learned that the Nintendo Labo apparently started out as a quote-unquote nose-picking video game, which is not entirely correct. If you read the US Gamer article that sort of first broke the news, you'll see that Nintendo Labo's, this whole nose-picking thing, 
comes from how they were testing and prototyping the Switch's motion controls. And the sort of smallest error that they could think of was inside of someone's nose. So that was how they sort of ran the testing for it. Not a game per se, but it's quite cool to, I guess, see how far the Labo has come since then. Because I don't know if you've got it, Andrew. I don't. But I can see that you can fish with it. You can you can play throwing games with it. You can create music with it. There's just so much that this can do on what's basically printed cardboard um, and a Switch. And seeing how far that's come from the initial tests whereby you have the range of, I guess, someone's nostril for motion sensing. A lot has happened. It's been really great to see the project grow. Yeah, the Labo looks really neat. I think it's going to be a phenomenon, you know, maybe on the level of the Wii, because a lot of people have Switches now, but the Switch, a lot of the discussion around it last year was how, aside from its hybrid nature, how traditional it was it didn't really do anything too weird except for what we've already kind of come to expect from nintendo with like the the rfid amiibo stuff and things like that Mm. just those things that nintendo's already established as standard for their platforms so it's interesting to see uh the labo coming out and all the things that you can do with it but i could tell from looking at it right away that it is something that i would play with once and then never again and i didn't want just a huge pile of cardboard just sitting in the corner of my closet taking up space so it was a pretty easy decision early on for me not to pick it up but i've seen some funny stuff with it already there's a there's a gif out there that somebody put together of kratos from god of war wearing the robot set that you strap onto your back uh (laughs) somebody has put on youtube them playing Smash Mouth's All-Star on the Labo Piano. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some cool stuff out there already, and I think I think there's going to be an ongoing niche for Labo, but I'm not into it. Jenny apparently is not into it. Andy has a Labo, but uh, he's not here for today's episode, so I guess we'll have to talk about it the next time he's on. Labo could be fun. I hope it's a success, but I won't be contributing to it. Yeah, I feel that. I think I said last time, if I were maybe 10 years younger, my parents were into it, I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. But at this point in my life, I don't really, I haven't got the time for it or the inclination for it. But I do hope it succeeds as well. So yeah. Ready? Go! Moving on to our next regular section of the week, um, the Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch prediction section. Um, that Say that ten times fast. I won't. Um, I will. But <laughs> we continue our trend um, of giving you guys our favorite or I suppose our most plausible or implausible predictions of what the Smash for the Switch title is going to look like. So Andy's and Hip has given us his contribution. Um, and Andy thinks that we'll see a Tekken or Soul Calibur port and, on the Switch, uh, which will mean that a major character from that franchise or franchises will be in the game. And he thinks that Jin will be in Super Smash Brothers. How do you feel about this, Andrew? I, I didn't understand a word of that. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you don't play Tekken or Soul Calibur? 
I last Soul Calibur I played was Soul Calibur two on GameCube. I've never played Tekken. Okay, we'll we'll simplify Andy's prediction into there's gonna be a Tekken or a Soul Calibur character in Smash Brothers. Um, I don't know. I can't really see a Tekken port this year, I think, or like soon for the Switch. I think if anything, I would probably sooner see you'd probably sooner see a uh, Dissidia port than one of those two franchises, keeping in sort of Nintendo's ongoing thing with Square Enix and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I just feel like it makes more sense. And also, if you think about characters in Dissidia and also how Noctis is basically, I think, a shoe-in for Smash. He's in everything else. Why not? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the right direction that they would choose to go in commercially. But, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible, but I think unlikely. And Andrew, your particular prediction was Rex from Xenoblade Chronicles Two will be playable. Oh uh. boy! Oh boy! Um, hopefully in that same costume that he usually wears, his diving outfit, which yeah. has most of the lower half cut out for some implausible reason. But I mean, you know, you do you, Rex. Like we support your right to be fashionable and cold while scuba diving. <laughs> And I hope uh, when he uses his final smash, he makes that noise again. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, no, I can see that. Okay. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, I think it makes sense. Xenoblade 2 did super well um, on the Switch. And just in general, I think it's been received incredibly. So, yeah. not He fits a kind of aesthetic as well. If we're going to have Noctis, we might as well have Rex as well, I guess. My prediction is a lot... I guess a lot more boring, um, but I think there will be themed like one, two switch themed levels mm-hmm. or arenas mm-hmm. just because I think it's sort of got, you know, it's wacky enough to sort of make that cut. And it's one of the, I guess, iconic original switch releases and Nintendo likes sort of corny stuff like that. It's going to happen. I feel it. Yeah. I mean, like mm-hmm. Electroplankton got a level back on Smash yeah. Brothers for Wii and there was a Wii Fitness trainer. Mm-hmm. There was a level set in the Wii Fit Studio. Was that on the? Was that in Brawl or was that in Smash Four? I don't remember which. I don't think it was in Brawl. I played a lot of Brawl. Mm, okay. Um... Well, anyway, Nintendo likes to make levels out of these weird non-games they make that are just kind of tech demos for people who don't play video games. So I think a one-two switch mm-hmm. level would be a very safe guess. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, you're right. It was four that had the Wii Fit Studio level. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, anything can happen, right? <laughs> Alrighty. Um. <clears throat> cool, so that's those are our predictions for Super Smash Brothers for the Switch. Um, if you have any that we haven't covered yet, whether they're impossible, implausible, or downright silly, um, we'd love to hear them. You can always flick us... Um, a tweet um, at at switchfocuspod or go on our Facebook page and leave us a message um, or pop onto our website and use the contact form to let us know how you feel about our predictions. So what are we playing this week, Andrew? Uh, This past week in the U.S. was tax season. I finally paid my taxes and I I realized I've been spending way too much money on video games this past year. So (laughs) from now on, I'm going to be limiting myself to just one game a week. Uh, So it won't be like last week where I was had like eight games that I talked about playing. Uh, And Mm -hmm. the game that I've chosen based on 
user feedback and a Twitter poll I put out, which is actually still going on if you want to respond to it, is Death Road to Canada, which is like the Oregon Trail with zombies, uh, is how it's been described oh. to me. It sounds <laughs> like it could be cool. It's a procedurally generated survival game with zombies, so it sounds like something I would like. And it's out on the 24th, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Are you also going to be playing Jotun or now? I'm interested in it, but I've heard a lot of negative things about the game itself. Uh, it oh. looks it looks beautiful, though. So, uh, and I don't know what the price point on it yet is going to be. So it might be one I pick up down the line on a sale. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Um, I was actually quite keen on Jotun myself, so this will be interesting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll probably be trying to play that this week and doing my best to finish Lost Sphere. <laughs> I'm going to be like 50 when I finish this game. Sure you will. Um, sure you will. I just need, I just need to get through it. It's just, I get like, a, I get a little bit further every week, but I just need to bite the bullet and do it. I've already hit the part of the game that Andy was bemoaning. Um, that's why I'm dragging my heels right now. But I know I'm not far from the end. I just have to see it through to see if the payoff was worth it. So I will have an update next week. Um, it may not be a positive one, but it'll be an update nonetheless. It'll be a portion of my life that I can leave behind. Um, and yeah, um, I'm probably playing a little bit more Atelier Lydia and Sewell to calm me down from playing Lost Sphere. So yeah, um, probably the stuff I already have, unless I can pick up Jotun Valhalla Edition. Um, and yeah, I'll see how it goes. Should be a quiet week for me. Um, sounded like a quiet week for Andrew as well. So hopefully when Andy gets back, he can update us on his shenanigans for the past two weeks. And he'll have done something a little bit more exciting than what we've been up to. <clears throat> well, May beckons. May is going to be intense. There yeah. is one, at least one huge release every week in May. So... Oh, God. Brace yourselves. Oh, man. <laughs> the releases are coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, dear. <clears throat> Alrighty. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast and our fatalistic moaning. Um, if you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> because it really helps to get us noticed. Um and it might make Andrew more cheerful. Um, <laughs> you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services, assuming that you aren't a zombie Brrr. and have functioning earbuds. <laughs> and if you choose to, um, you can also check out our YouTube channel, um, where Andrew uploads the first hour of pretty much all the games that we talk about. Brrr. And he's also streaming, <laughs> which I think is an incredible feat, considering how he's basically the undead. Um, <laughs> and you can find him at twitch.tv slash playcritically <laughs> you can also follow us on twitter youtube facebook and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates news and other content um, and we'll have our discord link in the show notes if you want to pop in and tell us how awful our switch predictions are or if you want to leave some nice pleasant feedback that would also be great as well Burr. and um <laughs> If you want us to support the show and contribute to Andrew's de-zombification fund, you can now buy us a coffee, and we'll have the details for that on our website. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, you can also follow us individually. Um, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Um, I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. 
and Andrew is at play critically, please send him some messages in this trying time. <laughs> <Arr>. <laughs> Need Zombrex. <Arr. laughs> 